days? Of all the days for you to pull this shit, what do you think you can do? Just wander around town? I don't ask you for very much. Just give me one Mom, day! I've given you 17 years! And I need you to be responsible. Do you know what that means? Responsible. Don't talk to me about responsible, I Mom. just need this one thing. Mom, I am not responsible for you! That's it. That's enough. I can't take it, Mom. He's dead. Michael Myers is dead. What do you want me to say? That it's over? We should try to get on with some attempt at a happy existence, Mom. Because all the shit that's going on in your head is leaking out on me, and I can't take it anymore. You told me yourself you watched him burn. I didn't exactly stay to see his ashes. 20 years. 20 years. Don't you think he would have shown up by now? What's he waiting for, huh? I can't live like this. I'm sorry. What? what does that mean, John? If you want to stay handcuffed to your dead brother, that's fine, but you're not dragging me along. Not anymore. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum. I am your host, uh, Mike Snoonian, who is not tired or exhausted in any way, <laughs> shape, or form, feeling totally chipper, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed right now, joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we doing? I'm doing great. So excited to talk about Halloween water or H2O <laughs> or Halloween 20 years later or Halloween, Halloween 7 20 years later or whatever it's called. I think Let's this is it. the first 7-inch by that hardcore band out of <laughs> New York, H2O. I think that's pretty much. This is, this is Michael Myers faster than the world. This would be fantastic. I liked it better when it was Halloween Madball, but. Hey, or <laughs> Halloween sheer terror, but you know. What's funny is by this time in the series, we can go with hardcore bands because at this point of the franchise, I'm, I am Halloween sick of it all. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Jerry. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm excited. Let's do this. Let's do this. Listen, man, I'm not the one that has picked back-to-back franchises with more than, like, 11 entries in them each, all right? You know, I'm all for these three movies, four movies, keep it snappy, you know? Like, you're killing me. Killing me here. At least we don't have four more movies to do, you know? (laughs) We have... (laughs) Five more? No, we have five movies. But like you said last week, I don't think any of the Halloween movies are ever boring to talk about. No, no, I'm excited. So, you know, I, so, I, I am definitely not a fan of H2O or Halloween <laughs> Water, but you know what? I'm like, so excited to talk about it. Let's do it. But this is a lot of people's favorite entry aside from the first movie. So we're going to watch we're going to watch the, the, these download numbers plummet after this week. It's going to be great. So um, in advance, fuck all of you for abandoning us after we discuss this movie. So we have a guest. We haven't scared her off yet. Um, she hasn't hung up and said, like, forget about this. Uh, we have a horror journalist and podcaster, Stephanie Crawford, on board. Stephanie, how are we doing tonight? Oh, I'm great. I just got to listen to both of you talk about how much you're sick of it. So I am thrilled <laughs> to jump right in. Well, we generally take a kind and gentle approach to movies. I think by the end of this discussion, I think we'll find a lot of positive to go with the negative as well. Right, Jerry? 
You know, honestly, I like coming out of the gate just joking about it. Yeah. But, you know, it, it does have a, a couple things that I, I enjoy about it. So. Yeah. It's like the two minutes hate in 1984 is pretty yeah. much how we'll start the discussion. But once we get that out of our systems, we're usually yeah. ready to go. So, Stephanie, um, what was it about this particular entry or this particular movie that, that you know, appealed to you? Or that said, you know, I want to, you know, spend some time and talk about it. Well, for me, this came out at the perfect time, um, you know, is during the big late 90s teen boom. And that's when I was a teenager and middle school and kind of uh, entering my teens. And on one hand, I was just allowed to watch horror movies. So I was endlessly renting older horror movies, but it seemed like every weekend, like a giant blockbuster horror movie that was aimed towards my demographic was coming out and sometimes they were completely stupid and a complete waste of time but I still felt like yeah but you know what they're trying to get my money they're listening to us by hiring a bunch of 27 year olds to play teenagers but that doesn't matter I feel I feel very seen right now so um I was definitely swept up in the excitement um of that and the fact that it was kind of the big comeback for the mm-hmm. franchise. And the franchise was very new to me at the time. I think I had only seen the original. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it, it's actually, it looms large uh, when I think about getting into the Halloween series. So you basically were able to avoid all of like the Cult of Thorn and <laughs> Jamie Lloyd stuff. Like basically you went into it. I mean, really without, you know, you you'd seen the frick. You had said seen the first movie, and that's a banger. So it's you kind of had like nothing but positive feelings towards the franchise at this point, right? I I'd say with Friday the Thirteenth, I had only seen the original four. Mm-hmm. Um, the Scream movies uh, were coming out, and I think Nightmare on Elm Street. I was only up to three. This is very mm-hmm. early in my horror education, so yeah, it's like these franchises are perfect i love yeah. them so for you it's like all these movies are so great like i Very can't wait to watch eyed, the yeah. next and then yes and then you know, it's just a world of hurt after this after this, all... a little baffling going yeah. back yeah but still fun see that's it, that's awesome though to be able to like I, I you know i wish that when this film had come out that i had been able to only have seen the first film and then watch that because you know, to be honest i think not having you know, all those films in between, not like kind of taint how you look at the series, because I love I love a lot of those movies, but kind of like having to go through all these stories and being almost cynical when you're going into H2O, not ha- having that and going straight from the first into H2O. I mean, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's interesting because um, when you go down through the sequels, you know, there's definitely more beloved ones, the ones that are mostly derided. This one seems to almost be a 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's maybe like that, like the people who were already hardcore into horror and were like, I don't know, a shiny new H2O. What kind of title is that? Like coming in with a lot of baggage versus, you know new jerks like me saying whoa cool it's on the big screen that's all i need i think baggage is a really good word to use there because by this time halloween was a bit of a damaged franchise um after 
returning to form with part four, part five was a flop and part six was pretty divisive as well as we discussed last week. Although I got to be honest, I know you're not high on part six, Jerry, like after what I think I've watched it like three or four times in preparation for the show we did. And Mm -hmm. I I think I'm going to be adding that to the mix every October, you know, for the movies I would throw in. What's cool about that, really quickly, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, Stephanie's not here to talk about Halloween Six, so I feel bad. But uh, like, honestly, after listening back to what everyone had to say on that episode last week's, like, I don't know, I kind of have like a new appreciation for mm-hmm. it in, in a way. So yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those movies that if if it hadn't had too many cooks in the kitchen and was able to really stick to its original vision it would be a real classic as opposed to like a near miss overall but i think it has more hits than misses but audiences didn't really agree so by the time the 20th anniversary of halloween is is about to roll around the akads and dimension films decide it's time to go back to the drawing board it's time to start really go back to the beginning of it overall it's time to pay Jamie Lee Curtis what she's owed and bring back Laurie Strode. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great idea, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that they used basically kind of that idea last year too. And I, I think that that's where we'll probably mention this multiple times during this episode. I think that's kind of where it's a good jumping off point to kind of bring a franchise back on track. Uh, I, I just, I feel like, you know, and I'm like I said, I'm sure we'll get into this more in this episode. But I, I feel like everything that I loved about that jumping point last year with that movie, uh, I, I just kind of felt was kind of mm-hmm. not there with this one. I mean, they had the perfect opportunity, and you know, Jamie Lee wanted you know Carpenter and Deborah Hill to get back on board too. You know, and that that could have been amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, for that time. You know, it, it's a bummer that I mean. Carpenter deserved what, you know, he asked for. I mean, but he asked for what, like $10 million to do it? $10 million, yeah. And a a three-picture deal with Dimension. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, he deserved it. I mean, you know, because he kind of was screwed out of so much money throughout the, as the series went on. So I understand that. But with that being said, after how bad Halloween 6 was, you know, to a lot of people, I can understand why they wouldn't want to just give anyone, you know, a good $10 million in three-picture deal to do the seventh movie and i know we're not here to talk about scream but i think that this movie may not exist or if it did it would look much much different if the movie scream hadn't become if it hadn't hit so hard in 1996 and then this continuing its success with scream 2 in 1997 and i guess my question is for stephanie like would you say because you said like you were in middle school around this time period and just getting into horror and i know that for a lot of people of that time period scream is the jumping on point for horror it's where people really latched on like um persons of your age latched onto the genre overall was that the jumping on point for you or was it um around that time or was it something where it's like nah, never really got into that so much it was a huge part of it um i was sneaking horror movies late night on cinemax that was actually how i first started seeing them because they were not allowed in my house Mm -hmm. and um 
my parents finally relented and they started laying me rent videotapes and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And Scream came out and everyone was talking about it. You cannot overstate how gigantic that movie was. And uh, my mom said, no, you can't see it. You can't see it. And finally, in the last week of its dollar theater run in Albuquerque, I convinced my mom. She So I went with my mom to see Scream, like the last week you could pretty much see it on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And I walked out and it sounds cheesy, but I felt changed. Mm -hmm. I had never seen horror on a big screen before. I never felt the communal aspect of it. And it's such a great film that I when I walked out, I pretty much thought like, yep, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, slightly influential. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And it's such a powerful thing. And it's just so awesome to hear that. Like, I always love hearing stories of like what got people into the genre or what got people into like whatever they're passionate about overall. So at this point, mom had kind of like lay off a little bit. It was now going to let you watch a lot more horror movies. Where did you go from there? Did you go into the more classic slashers? Like you mentioned, you'd watch the first four Fridays and the original Halloween, or were you like totally on board with this, like, you know, second phase of slasher movies with like, I know what you did last summer and the real kind of like trend towards like young hip actors and actresses that were on like the WB and UPN at the time. Oh, it was very parallel. On one hand, um, I think the first videotapes I got were the first four Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil, the first two Evil Deads. And um, every week we'd go to Hastings to rent videos and I'd pick a series and start watching it. And I think the first one I chose to rent was the Psycho series. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of tie into Halloween there. And... Um, so I I basically was picking a lot of 80s slasher movies based on the covers in the video store. But every weekend, I mean, I was like a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. So whenever mm-hmm. I'd see Sarah Michelle Gellar, I was there. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I loved um, the brand new shiny ones. Even when it was stupid, I was... So I was making fan sites for a lot of these people back then. So it, it was a really exciting time. It w- it would just seem to surround me from all eras. It was mm-hmm. really fun. And I think that's a key word. Like this movie is less scary than it goes for that kind of fun vibe. And I think that's one of the things that because Kevin Williamson's imprint, even mm. though he's not billed as the writer of the movie, he had written the treatment for it and then got called on to do more development on Dawson's Creek, which was one of the breakout hits in the WB at the time. Um, but his imprint is all over this movie. Uh, he has done like a, he did a lot of like uncredited polishes of the script, even though it's um, credited to both Robert Zappia and Matt Greenberg. And, you know, um, Williamson's names are on it anywhere. It's pretty much in the know that this is pretty much a Kevin Williamson jam through and through. Um, I I think that that's kind of where the film uh, lost me right from the beginning is any other film in the series before H2O or after H2O never feels that dated to me. 
I, I could watch Halloween 4 and know that it was, you know, it came out in 88, but it never quite feels like 1988 for me. You know, I could kind of get lost in the film. You watch H2O and you know exactly what era this movie came from, because if you take Michael Myers out of it, it's Dawson's Creek. You know, it, it's it's teaching Mrs. Tingle. And know, really, like, what is what is Dawson's Creek really? But a great coming of age story. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but but you know what I mean. Like 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 I hate being that dude. Like get off my lawn. But no kids fucking talk like that. You know, mm-hmm. even being like eighteen years old, seeing this in the theater, I was thinking like, what this is and. And I'm sorry, Kevin Williamson fans, I will get crucified for this, I know. But what every Kevin Williamson project from the 90s was, is how us nerds, and I mean that before it was a cool term, the people that got picked on, it's how we wished that we talked. We didn't. Nobody talks like this. But I think Josh that's Hartnett, a perfect summation. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, it's... It's like when nerds become the popular people. That's what Kevin Williamson characters feel like to me. And that, that's what this feels like to me. That like any other film in the series, even the ones that I didn't care for. Like I, I saw Halloween 6 in the theater and I walked out going like, what the fuck did I just watch? But you know what I mean? Like the dialogue's passable. I've always been such a, a huge stickler for dialogue. You know, I want it to feel like it's something that, that we would say or something that I could identify with. Like, I want to slap Josh Hartnett upside his fucking head in this movie and mess up his hair even more. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's me wild. It does blow my mind that for there was a time in our lives where people were trying to make Josh Hartnett a thing. Oh, come on. The Virgin it's... Suicides. He's great. No, but the, what's crazy is, like, I was such a vocal just hater of Josh Hartnett during that era. But, like, you know what? Like, after watching Penny Dreadful, like, goddamn, like, mm-hmm. you know, give us some more Hartnett. That guy can mm-hmm. act his ass off. It's just, like, all the stuff that he was thrown in, you know, Halloween H20, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, all 40 those romance- Nights of Virgin. Or whatever that, yeah. <laughs> 40 Days, 40 Nights. You guys are hard. Dude, I saw that 40 Days. <laughs> that, that, I mean, like, look, I was not oblivious to the charms of the heart back then man i mean i saw that 40 nights of virgin movie with my sister in theaters which is so awkward so awkward it's like it's it's funny that this guy had a whole shtick of not knowing how to brush his hair right (laughs) (laughs) like i i I revisited the faculty recently uh you know not by choice but because of you know work uh and it's just like what person said dude this is how you're going to make it in this business. You're going to be a badass by having the back of your hair stand up. But he it's did. Like, dude, it like in, in three or four movies straight. And it's just like, it, it's funny because on the making of H2O on that awesome Screen Factory box set, he kind of admits to doing that on purpose because he didn't want to be the typical leading guy. He didn't want to fall into that category. Well, it's like, Josh, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you you did, you know? He can't help that he's dreamy, okay? I'm going to hang up now. No, it's okay. We're not. It's it's, it's like we said, like, nobody was, 
impervious to the charms of the heart back in the late 90s, early 2000s. He's a very handsome man. Um, not quite. I, I wasn't able Jerry to do that. My hair. <laughs> yeah, Jerry. Jerry's got a black heart, basically. So, um, But this, you know, we had said how this movie has like the scream imprint all over it. And not just in the dialogue where it's like. Like you said, like that really almost like Aaron Sorkin-esque type of dialogue, yeah. but for teenagers overall. Um, but also the way the movie is structured. Like you have this opening act with bringing back um, Nancy Stevens' as Nurse Marion. You have mm-hmm. almost a very tight, really cool short movie in and of itself. Yeah. That if that was all the – like just like the opening act of Scream – if this was all the movie was, it would be like a banger of a short movie. Right. Um, and it nicely kind of like dovetails into the uh, Loomis character as well. And unfortunately, Donald Pleasance was no longer with us by this time, but it pays tribute to that character. And Jerry, to your point from last week, even though we don't see Loomis, you see that obsession in mm-hmm. the way that his office is set up. Because that was Loomis's house, if I'm correct, right? And the nurse was uh, kind of his caretaker. I, yeah, I think he lived with her, yeah. Yes. So, oh, were they shacking up? Like, is he finally... Or was she just kind of... I don't know. I just don't you know. know. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there's a porn parody of Halloween, but, uh, if, but if, I, if I did know that there was, then we both know that Loomis and the nurse shacked up. Absolutely. Um but he basically keeps that obsession where I had argued last week. I kind of like the idea of Loomis kind of letting his failures go yeah. and kind of going into retirement. And you took me to task for that. And I think, you know, in some ways, rightly so for saying he's that kind of obsession doesn't doesn't quite leave you. No, I, I you know, totally. And I agree with you about the beginning. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, I love the opening of this movie. You know, it the, the pacing's great. Uh, you know, it's scary. Uh, you know, it kind of has that all bets off approach that I love. I love not knowing if one of your beloved characters are going to get killed. And you, know, you you bring back, you know, the nurse from the first and the second film. You know, you, you see her and you don't think anything's going to happen to her. You know, and that adds that, uh, you know, nothing is safe mentality to it. And I, I think that that works for it. I, I think I think where the film starts to suffer, just in my opinion, is when we get reintroduced to Laurie Strode. Because as mm-hmm. our guest on Halloween 5, Brian Collins, said, and he said it very well, that's not Laurie Strode. You know, like everything, the way that she uh, puts herself out there, it just feels so alien to, you know, that character that we got to know in the first film, you know? Absolutely. And I think before we jump into the character and dive into like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's performance in the movie, can we talk a little bit about the setup of the movie in terms of this is the first movie that wipes out all the continuity. It wipes out Halloween three is obviously wiped from the timeline, but also part four, five and six. And the character of Jamie Lloyd is also wiped out. All the cult of thorn stuff is wiped out. Um, Even Loomis chasing after Michael for all those years is wiped out. Um, And we get a a hard reboot where it said after Halloween two, 
the body was never recovered. It was just assumed to have burned up in the fire, but nothing was ever found. Yeah. And that's that's I think that's an interesting way to uh, kind of address how both you and I felt uh, as far as like opposing views on Loomis, you know, that career obsession of constantly chasing him is gone with H2O, Mm -hmm. you know, but that also speaks on just his experiences with Michael in the first two films, what kind of PTSD Loomis would have that to where he would still be obsessed all these years later, right up until he passed away, Mm -hmm. you know? And what about you, Stephanie? I know you said you saw this movie after the original, so you didn't necessarily have that all that baggage with it. But your thoughts now, like I, I'm assuming you've seen at least some of the other uh, Halloweens as well, if not all. Um, your thoughts now in terms of like kind of hitting a, re- uh, a reset button on the franchise? Yeah, obviously it worked for me the first time because uh, I, I didn't know swaths of mythos is basically being wiped out so to me i was like okay so this was basically the plot during the sequels and okay this seems very clean to me this is very clear to me Mm -hmm. and now that i've seen all the sequels multiple times um and then re-watching this one yeah it's it's definitely interesting i can see why it throws a lot of fans off because when you come to it chronologically it uh, I don't know if I want to say it's disrespectful but it does it there's a little bit of arrogance in how much it disregards everything so I think if you're any kind of fan of the sequels it might be kind of frustrating mm-hmm. and it's not a full return to the original triumph because you know Deborah Hill isn't there, John Carpenter isn't there, Jamie Lee Curtis is there, but people aren't very sure about her portrayal. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, with those kind of reboot kind of movies, uh, yeah, it can it can definitely muddy the waters. I still enjoyed it, uh, but I, you know, there's a little bit more complexity there, and I could appreciate why so many people just say they hate it after that i think i think it makes sense from two angles it makes sense from a storytelling perspective because if you're bringing jamie lee curtis back in as laurie strode it would be very hard to be sympathetic towards a character that for all intents and purposes faked her own death and orphaned her daughter like it would be hard to buy into that character from a storytelling perspective at that point Absolutely. But also from the perspective that this was a movie that was expected to bring in a lot of new fans. And a lot of people were just like teenagers were just starting to get into horror movies or get into slasher movies based on the success of things like Scream. And I know what you did last summer. And to ask them to sit through six or five other movies or really Four, one, two, four other movies of, of history after Halloween 2 might have been really hard for them to kind of accept. It might have made things too convoluted. So as much as I enjoy, you know, parts four and six in particular, and even some of the charms of part five, I can see how it just makes things a hell of a lot less messy overall. Oh, totally. I, I agree with you, too. And uh, one kind of 
not analogy, but kind of comparison that I was thinking of. You know, I, I feel like it's almost an asshole thing of me any time that I cap on Scream or Halloween H2O, because like you said, those films did bring in a lot of horror fans. You know what I mean? That started a lot of people loving the genre as, you know, as young as young people. So, I mean, there's nothing but respect that should be thrown at those movies. At the same time, this kind of like, you know, well, it started horror fans thing. And being a sequel this late in the game, or uh, I kind of compare it to the overall mentality with the new Blumhouse Black Christmas. Uh, You know, it came out that it was going to be rated PG-13. A lot of people that loved the original and the, I think, five people that liked the the first remake, you know, they they were saying, you know, well, you know, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. It should be RRR. And then, you know. The writer, I think one of the writers said something along the lines of, you know, they wanted PG-13 to kind of bring in new fans. So I understand that perspective of, yeah, it's H2O isn't what people like, you know, myself, like we kind of wanted with the series. But even though it's not my thing, like I also definitely respect the hell out of the fact that it exists. Because, I mean, who's to say that so many of these awesome people that, you know, we meet at conventions and stuff. Wouldn't it be there if they hadn't discovered H2O at that age? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you have to constantly bring in new people to these movies. I mean, if you're someone that grew up with the original Halloween and the movies that followed, I mean, you're my age now. And let's mm-hmm. be honest, like most people our age have other stuff to do besides watch horror movies. So the genre does need to constantly invent itself if yeah. it wants to continue to grow and to thrive overall. And it's and it's a very it's very much a product of that era of of you know, newer crowds getting into horror. You know, I, I think if there's one thing that Kevin Williamson really did do well, in my opinion, is usher in that next group of horror fans that maybe were too young to experience everything that you and I experienced, mm-hmm. you know, in the 80s and that kind of stuff. You know, for a lot of people, the 90s, that was their starting point. And films like Halloween H2O made them go back and revisit the other films in the Mm -hmm. series. So I do feel like it's actually one of the most important films in the franchise. Right. Oh, I would say so, too. I would say that if this movie wasn't successful, I don't think you're going to have the Blumhouse movie Mm -hmm. in 2018. I think it would have... You certainly wouldn't... It would be interesting to see what happened from there. I think you may have gotten more Halloween movies, but they may have gone the Hellraiser route and have gone straight to video by that point as opposed to what we got for you know all the things that we love or hate about like say rob zombies two halloween movies you can't say they were done on the cheap Mm -hmm. and with the blumhouse movie again like i know they're not necessarily massively budgeted movies but they put every penny that you see on screen and i think that all goes back to the success because this was a hugely successful movie overall so love it or hate it this gave the entire franchise a gigantic shot in the arm and a brand mm-hmm. new life. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So what do we think now? Now let's dive into the character of, of Laurie Strode a little bit. Um, I would love to discuss both how we think that she's portrayed in terms of how we see her 20 years after the original movie and then the follow-up Halloween 2. Like, do we still recognize that character? But also maybe dive a little bit into how her post-traumatic stress disorder is portrayed on screen. Uh, well, you know, 
Lori has always been my favorite character of all time in any film. Uh, it's the one character of any film that I just from an early age identified with the most. You know, that was me growing up, you know, not being able to talk to people, surrounding myself with more popular friends, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, having to deal with some really traumatic stuff early on, you know, that that was my character. So when I went into H2O expecting to see that character again, but with those battle scars, uh, you know, it, it it took me a while to kind of get used to what I was seeing on screen. You know, like I, I felt like there wasn't a single ounce of that character on the screen anymore. You know, and, you know, I it's hard not to reference David Gordon Green's film when talking about H2O because I, I kind of feel like they're the same uh they kind of had the same goal you know and whereas you know it bothered me that in h2o lori's constantly trying to run away from her trauma you know because i think that's what made last year's halloween so magical for me that we got we finally got a lori that followed up the first film where she wasn't running away from her trauma but she was running at her trauma you know what I mean? And not just that, but also just, I mean, the character, you know, she's kind of an asshole in this movie, you know? And, like, I feel like no matter what had happened to Lori, that wouldn't be who she would grow up to be. Mm -hmm. She would be scared. She would be terrified. But she would also be prepared and have empathy. And I feel like that's one thing that that lacks so much from the character in H2O is empathy. I think there's more apathy in the character than what we should have seen. Uh, what do you, what do you think, Stephanie? I actually disagree. Okay. <laughs> well, I think on one hand, um, just looking at from a studio perspective, they were probably thinking a lot of people are going to be very excited to see Laurie Strode come back and Jamie Lee playing her. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's going to be a lot of people that know her as like a slightly older actress. They maybe didn't grow up with her movies and they want to see, you know, the girl from Dawson's Creek and this new cute guy with the bad haircut, Josh Hartnett. And that's who they're going to be relating to. So I think I would love to see some early drafts of the screenplay because it makes me curious if it did go deeper into her trauma And they're like, you know, we don't want to get too deep into a middle-aged woman's trauma. We want to kind of focus on the LL Cool J character and the teenagers. Um, So I think it might have been kind of a strange balancing act for them. But for what ended up on screen, it's not perfect. But I think with what everything, like the kind of messy past of the franchise and trying to make Jamie Lee Curtis as an actress happy. I think they did a pretty good job. Um, In the first film we see, she's very type A. She's very studious uh, by the book. And I think that reflects in her character here. Um, And even though she had that, she still had a sense of humor And she was cool in a more restrained way. And you'd see that in like little moments here, especially with her relationship with Adam Arkin's character. Um, So I I agree with you that when her stress from the trauma would come out, it could come out kind of shrill. 
But I kind of tie that into her being a mother because I don't feel like she was running and hiding. I, I think she did the best she could with her strengths to rebuild a life, but she's kind of tethered uh, because she has this child who she's trying to give a normal life. And that, so that's another stress and there's like a fight or flight situation going on. And um, I think there's a lot to balance and, the more I revisit it, the more I, I see little choices they made, and I actually appreciate it. Um, I, I don't, I don't hate it. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, you, don't, don't apologize. <laughs> no, never apologize like. for. But when you watch it, do you see like a direct through line from the Laurie Strode in part, really part one, because in part two, she's not given all that much to do. But do you see that same Laurie Strode in part one that you do in this one? Because to me, when I see the character, I almost like that she like personality swapped with either Anzi, uh, Anne or um, Linda uh, or Lin- um, Linda, to be quite honest. No, I think you're going to be a, a really different person as a teenager than you are well into your 30s. Um, and she had a whole marriage. She has a teenage kid now. We we don't know how many relationships she's had. Um, we just know that she's a very strong, very charming person who lives in fear every single day of her mm-hmm. life. So I do see that because you do see Lori be kind of funny. And in the first one, she she's the you quote unquote straight one of the group. She's like the mousy one with her homework, but she's still cool to hang out with. She's still funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, Jamie Lee Curse I have to give a lot of credit to because I think she did a great job of portraying a regular maturity and then clashing into all the baggage this character has. Um, Cause I, I did love uh, Halloween 2018, but to me that Lori, she had nothing to lose at that point. She was estranged from everyone. She still cared about him, but she was very much a lone wolf. Mm-hmm. And here she's like, no, I want all the trappings of life. I want my kid right here. I want a nice house. I want a stable job. I want a nice boyfriend. And I'm going to make it work any way mm-hmm. I possibly can. So there's this strain behind mm-hmm. the performance. I well, like that a lot. I think I, we do do see some <clears throat> shades of Lori in that her career choice. Like seeing her as the headmistress of a posh um, boarding school f- seems to me like it would fit what Lori Strode would do. Like be someone who's really into education, mm-hmm. someone who really is really responsible and someone that can be a, a caretaker for younger children. Like all of those things fit. But when I watch the movie, you know, there's a line in the movie where she says, you get your smart mouth from my side of the family. And I'm hard pressed to think of any real like sarcastic or witticisms that Laurie Strode really has in the first two movies overall. Mm-hmm. Like she's never someone that comes off like a wise ass in the movie. Um, and then when she refers to like her son's dad, it's like, well, you know, he's a chain smoking meth head is the dad. I'm like, that doesn't seem like the kind of, person that Laurie Strode would have been attracted to even coming out of like these traumatic events Um, so it just like some of the choices seem very odd to me and what I see is Jamie Lee Curtis on screen who is a wise ass 
is an awesome wise ass who's funny, who's quick witted, who's sharp, and who's frankly Hollywood royalty. Um, I mean, like she's a movie star with a capital M, capital S, and that's kind of what I see on the screen well, here. I also think that a lot of the kind of hands-on approach to the character uh, and the, the difference between that in H2O and 2018 is Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, uh, you know, she she did an interview not too long ago where she was talking about H2O and uh, I think 2018 and the difference. Uh, you know, originally H2O was supposed to be something very different to her. It was supposed to be bringing back Carpenter, bringing back Deborah Hill, you know, mm-hmm. all these things they wanted to do with the character. And by the time that Carpenter, Hill, all of them weren't involved and the story was changing so much. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis has said that at that point it just became like, okay, well, if I'm still going to do this, you know, I don't really care that much, but at least I'm going to make a lot of money. Whereas with last year's film, she was very involved. She had very precise things that she wanted to be done with the Lori mm-hmm. character that weren't done in H2O. You know, in 2018, she didn't want Lori to be a badass. She wanted Lori to be, you know, a survivor who would be resourceful. Whereas, you know, there's kind of the whole last, I think, quarter of H2O is kind of that Lori being a badass thing, you know? And I, I feel like maybe Jamie Lee cared a little bit more about the character and staying faithful to the character last year than maybe she did in H2O because in, in for you know all intents and purposes, it kind of became about a paycheck at that point, you know? And I, I think maybe if it wasn't about that, maybe maybe there would have been more of that in the character because there would have been more development. See, I, I know that's the case for Resurrection where she was obligated to come back um, and she was really hands-on with, with that moment and was going to make a definitive statement like, this is it. Um, I never get that impression in H2O that she's not mailing it in, but maybe less than invested. I would say that she's really going for broke here. I don't think that she's ever 100% invested in what she's doing, even if I don't always agree with those choices. I never Mm -hmm. feel like they're mailed in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think at that point she was ready to just not act at all and this was a little bit of a last hurrah kind of tying a bow Mm -hmm. on everything for a while so it's interesting i i feel like especially behind the scenes she probably felt very powerful when she was making this and people were listening to her and realizing the value she was bringing to the film and then she was good (laughs) she's Mm -hmm. like okay great this is a very specific situation um, I think originally they said this was going to be like a straight-to-video sequel until she wanted to be involved in mm-hmm. it. Um, so oh, I, can... I definitely buy that. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, and yeah. rightfully so. I mean, Six really didn't leave a great impression with a lot mm-hmm. of people, you know? So what do we think then of how her trauma 20 years later is reflected on screen? How do we feel that as a representation of trauma, this movie, what does this movie get right? And is there anything that we think would be different? Well, I mean, just speaking from my own personal experience, uh, I, I felt closer. See, I hate talking about 2018 so much in this episode, but it's just like, I, I feel like it's almost inevitable when talking about these two films. It is. Uh, you know, I didn't want, 
just from my own personal experience with trauma and and having to overcome something big you know i wanted my favorite character not to not to become angry and pissed off because of the trauma you know i i like she has a drinking problem in both of those films h2o and uh you know 2018 but there was kind of a broken a broken quality in 2018 where she's broken but she wants to be fixed in h2o it feels like she's broken but she just doesn't want to acknowledge it she doesn't want to address it she doesn't want to think about it and it's only when she's forced to you know and as a survivor of a lot of stuff you know i felt kind of let down by that i felt let down that like laurie kind of i i you know not even just a physical sense, but even an emotional sense, kind of running away from it. She doesn't want to think about it. You know, she she pushes it off. Whereas 2018, she's broken, but she wants to get over it. She has spent 40 years preparing to get over it, and she wants to get rid of this trauma. You know, it is a huge thing, and it's ruined every relationship around her, this desire to get rid of it. You know, and I feel that that's so much more noble than kind of what I saw in, in 98. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. This is a very pretty mainstream big budget movie. Like, oh, I'm going to sneak another glass of Chardonnay kind of dealing with trauma. As much as I do enjoy her performance in this, I 100% agree with you. It's not really dealt with. And we're just given little moments here and there, as well acted as they are. They're very slight. And with um, 2018, I feel like when that one came out, they're like, you know what? Everyone is welcome. Everyone. It's a new Halloween movie. It's a party. But it was specifically made, most Mm -hmm. of all, for devoted Halloween fans, where H2O, Mm -hmm. I think, was made for the biggest audience possible. I will say, though, that as as much as the Lori character just doesn't hit with me for H2O, I, I will give the character and Jamie Lee Curtis's portrayal of the character one major prop, is that for someone who just did not like Josh Hartnett that much around that time, seeing Lori be so pissed off that she makes Josh Hartnett his voice crack while they're <laughs> arguing in the middle of the day, like, I, to this day, it's one of my favorite parts of any movie because it just... It's everything I wanted to do at that time. So getting into the trauma a little bit, there are Mm – when treating trauma, there's a few different schools of thought overall. Uh One of them is to dive really headlong into the traumatic event, um, relive it over and over again, and tackle it from different perspectives and different angles. There's something called immersion therapy Mm -hmm. where – you basically are immersing yourself in that event over and over. Like, say, for example, a traumatic event occurred um, like under like a walking over a bridge or in a really dark alley. Like you may be tasked to like walk in a dark alley in a controlled environment over and over again until you're no longer afraid of it. Or you try to tap into different parts of your brain when reliving and trying to create a new narrative for it overall. And I think that's what we see in the 2018 movie. Um, Even though like Lori never goes or it's, it's never hinted that she goes through any sorts of therapy. I think at one point her daughter says like, you need cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'm 
like, nope, that's not what she needs, but fair enough. Um, <laughs> she's kind of created her own therapeutic environment in that she's set up an environment where she's reliving this trauma over and over again. She's revisiting um, Smith's Grove when Michael's getting released. And I think it's strongly hinted it's not her first time making that trip out there. Um, so she's trying to relive that experience overall. The other school of thought of trauma that I think you see here is one where it's what does it take for you to just get through the day? Like if we push this trauma down and put it out of sight, out of mind, how can you do that and then function in a normal daily life? Like how do you get out of bed, get dressed, go to work? Can you do that and just kind of ignore that trauma? And it's said in this movie, like she says, like I've tried everything group therapy, talk therapy, yoga, meditation. So she's gotten to a point where she's at least started to deal with it. And I think that anger that you pointed to, Jerry, is like that is her expression of her trauma overall. Like all of the the work that she had done, this is now how that's her coping mechanism is to get pissed off at it. That makes sense. So and but, it uh, is a type of trauma you technically can't move on from because mm-hmm. he always finds you. He'll actually right. show up there to try to mm-hmm. kill you. Exactly. I mean, it's like, how can you move past it if, like, every Halloween he's at your front door? Um, I really like the way – and I know, like you said, it's not necessarily the deepest portrayal of PTSD in a movie. Um but I really like the way it's portrayed on screen here. I think like the continuous flashbacks, like when she keeps seeing Michael out of the corner of her eye or in like a window, uh, in a window reflection, um, the way she just jumps when trick or treaters come by her. Um, and she's trying to like hold her son so tight to her so that he can't really get out of sight. So she thinks that she can protect him overall because she can't move back. So these flashbacks, mm-hmm. these nightmares, well, um, and just well, running away th- from it. There are definitely, I think moments that, I mean, I, I liked with the character. I mean, the, mo- the, the sequence that you were talking about where she kind of sees him in the, in the window, I loved that she kind of took a, a moment, closed her eyes, and kind mm-hmm. of let it pass. I mean, there there are quite a few little moments like that in the movie that I'm actually pretty fond of. And there's actually mm-hmm. whole sequences that I think work for the movie. I mean, I, I don't like H2O that much, but I would be lying if I said that the rest stop scene isn't one of the best in the mm-hmm. series. You know, like, it mm-hmm. has good sequences in the yeah. film. I would say that the trauma in this movie is more earned than it is in Halloween 2018. Because in 2018, you wipe out everything but the first movie. And I'm not saying what Laurie went through isn't terrible, but I don't think it's quite as severe as if you take the first two movies and the revelations in them. That, to me, feels... It feels much worse than what... Laurie Strode in 2018 had to overcome. Controversial opinion. I see. I don't, I don't know because I mean, anytime that, uh, somebody will be talking to me about stuff that they're going through, it -hmm. seems like a lot of people always end up apologizing saying, well, you know, it's not as bad as, you know, 
such and such thing that you went through. And I always kind of have to tell them the same thing. No, it's just as valid, if not more valid than mine. You know, everyone has specific things in their life that is the worst to them, you know? And I mean, who's Mm -hmm. to say that two or three of your best friends, I mean, Lori wasn't only friends with Annie and, and Linda, you know? She was friends with Bob. You know what I mean? I don't think like, anybody was friends with Bob, really. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to, you know, give give my opinion a little more <laughs> weight. <laughs> no, you know, Lori was friends with all those people. Seeing mm-hmm. her best friends get slaughtered and then somebody, like, just relentlessly coming for her all night, mm-hmm. no matter what she did. Who's to say that that wouldn't, right. that, that wouldn't traumatize her just as much as, I mean, what does she remember about two? You know, she was drugged up the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I mean. For all we know, she doesn't even remember a single thing that happened that the later that night. Right. But I think that doing an apples to apples comparison, like character to character, not two separate characters, really. Um, yeah. The additional reveal that it's your brother and that also yeah. he's still out there versus it was a random person that's been locked up for 40 years since. Yeah, I think. You know, that that's where I'm looking at. I'm not looking at like if it happened to Lori versus say Rachel per se, if that makes any sense. No, totally. I feel you. So what do we think moving on from what do we think of the character of Michael in this movie? Does this what do we think of CGI mask shape, basically? <laughs> oh, the three masks. Uh you know, like I, I understand it being a product of his time, you know. But I, one I thing <laughs> you had Stan Winston, you had K and B. Right. Still you want to do a CGI scene. Okay. Well, no, like, I don't get it. One like I appreciated in David Gordon Green's film that Michael was legitimately older. Mm-hmm. You know? He's been kind of preparing this whole time to be a badass. Yeah, slamming slamming the podcaster's head into the wall and all that stuff. But we don't see Michael what we don't see in David Gordon Green's film is Michael with one hand pulling himself down from a pipe. You know? <laughs> like, like it's, it's, ah, oh, I, I can't do it. <laughs> like, I'm trying not to sound negative, but it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, like I liked, I, I wasn't a big fan of six, but I liked George Wilbur's Michael in that mm-hmm. movie. You know, I liked Don Shanks as Michael in five. I think Chris Duran in the sixth one he kind of just walks around, you know, mm-hmm. like, like there's no personality. And I know that people that don't get horror won't, I mean, they'll probably be like, well, what guy in a mask has personality? I call bullshit on that. Exactly. Because there's, there's movies that really I'm not fond of. There's movies that I'm not fond of. Like the strangers is one of my favorite movies of all time. I didn't care for the second movie, but mm-hmm. I loved what Damien brought to the man in the mask character. There's mm-hmm. nuances and I feel like every person that played Michael Myers had nuances. I just find them kind of absent in this one. Yeah. To me, the biggest thing is the the way the mask is designed. You get so much of the character's eyes that show through it, and it's too much. It's this like bug-eyed expression you see. And part of the terror of Michael Myers is when those eyes are shaded off and you cannot – it's like a complete blank slate – here yeah. it just looks like a goofy dude and a really bad like rip off. It's like a, you know, like a rip off mask basically of of what you would see. Like if you know you like what you would get at the dollar store essentially for a Halloween mask. And you get that one very cool moment where 
Lori and Michael like see each other through the war- looking glass yeah. for the first time. And that moment really works. But aside from that, um, it's just like a really goofy portrayal of Michael in this movie overall. Can I say Although one I thing actually- about that scene? Yes. Sorry. Um, before the film came out and that was one of like the big promo images Mm -hmm. because it was this really big moment framed Mm -hmm. in a really interesting way I just saw that was a circular window and the movie was called Halloween H2O like is this (laughs) Michael goes to Manhattan is this on a cruise ship it's on a submarine I I truly thought for a while it was going to be a water based Halloween movie that's great that's fantastic. And, you know, it makes sense, I guess. You know, H2. I mean, the people that said, like, it would be H20. It's like, no, man, it's H2O. Like, everybody knows that. Come on. I've never met a single person that calls it Halloween H20. I would and run it, from that. That would be a sociopath. I, I would probably punch them in the nose. That would be a sociopath that would do that. You run, Jerry, if someone calls it H20. Yeah. That's not, no. They're up to no good. They have no good intentions whatsoever. Um. What about the teenagers? Aside, we we talked about Josh Harnett a little bit, but this is a movie that very much made it kind of want trick the audience into thinking that Michelle Williams' uh, character of Molly would be like the new Laurie Strode, um, and then you have like Jody Lynn O'Keefe as Sarah, and I don't even remember the other guy to be quite honest. Is it Tony? I don't. Adam Hainbird uh, played the friend Charlie. And okay. I, I only I only know that very well because I'm still all these years later asking myself how you made little man Tate so dislikable in this movie. Oh, I always think Jumanji with him. Oh, see, see, I've never seen Jumanji, so I didn't know. But like, I, I'm such a big fan of Jodie Foster's film, Little Man Tate, and he was so good in that movie. But I wanted to strangle him in this one. <laughs> and, and Michelle Williams is is so talented. And she's given so little to do here. It's incredible. It's nothing. It's like, be pretty and pleasant. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I love that Steve Miner directed episodes of Dawson's Creek the same mm-hmm. year. <laughs> so, yeah, it didn't seem to unearth anything mm-hmm. more interesting for that character, unfortunately. I, I do think that, that Mike, uh, you, you tweeted something earlier this week, and I couldn't agree more. And it was kind of like, who is the person that thought Creed belonged in a uh, Halloween film? <laughs> they were everywhere. Like, was it Scream 2 or 3 where they almost had their own scene with a poster in it? Creed oh. 3. It's It's got to be part 3. <laughs> Creed 3. Creed 3. <laughs> Creed 3. <laughs> no, but like this movie. It's a Scream 3, I think. We, we it's, did not a even, whole... it's, it's not even the characters that drive me, I think, crazy the mm-hmm. most about this movie. It's It's... The laziness of the score. You oh, have God. you have a score yeah. by John Ottman, and they not only take his score and they butcher that up, but then they add parts of Scream, Scream Two, right. and mimic their scores to the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's 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 almost like Halloween H two O. Uh, in a lot of ways, the music is kind of like a Miramax mixtape. And it, it, it took me out, as someone who's always appreciated uh, music in movies, even at an early age, watching H2 on the theater, like, it took me out of it so many times mm-hmm. being like, wait, is that a cue from Scream? You know, what, like, this this feels weird. 
Yeah, this was de- definitely came out in the era where soundtracks were selling like hotcakes on mm-hmm. CDs. Right. So they'd actually mess with like maybe the emotion or pacing of mm-hmm. a scene because like, oh, well, this is on the soundtrack. You better mm-hmm. cram it in there. That part is a little heartbreaking for but sure. There's so much other awkwardness like in the teenagers in this movie too where you have like that scene with sarah and molly and um the guidance counselor will comes into their room which number one like look i know that it's a different era but and i'm a school counselor under no circumstances no circumstances should this guy be like entering their room on his own there's nothing good that's gonna come nothing good that's gonna come out of this okay zero nothing not a like Will, do not enter the girls' dorm. Like, oh, nobody's on campus right now. Let me go to the one room where the two ladies are in. Like, no good is ever going to come from Just this. Just casually like, strolling in. One of them Just, makes a yeah. rape joke. Ha, ha, ha. You have like, fun. Oh, we're going to go wow. visit roofies and have some casual <laughs> date rape sex. And he's like, he okay, kind well, of, have a uh, good night. It's like, he no. kind of reminds me. He kind of oh, reminds me of, uh, he kind of reminds me of the principal in Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. You know, the principal just wants to be liked. Mm-hmm. You know, so he just lets them get away with whatever. That's what that character is to me. And it's it's every guidance counselor that you just don't mm-hmm. want to talk to. But it's who? But he's portrayed as kind of a cool guy in this movie. I mean, he lands Laurie Strode. Uh, he's a pretty handsome dude. He's pretty understanding. He was a werewolf in a Larry Cohen movie. Excellent. You know, um, but he's just like no student is that familiar with like a staff member where they're going to say, Oh, we're going to go get like, like you said, a date rape drug and go have casual sex off campus at a bar. Like, and if no they are that familiar, it. they need to knock it off. Yeah. They need to like cut that shit. Like if, if someone were to say that with me at that school, I'm like, you need to cut this shit out. You need to like, you know, you need to just stop right now. Like I remember I was interning last year and I had to do some presentation where I had kids write down like what their strengths are. And some kid, some eighth grade little smart ass was like, you know, what if you don't know how to write? And, I'm, and I just look at him and I'm like, hey, did you put down like being funny as one of your strengths? And he's like, no. I'm like, good, because that would be false. And everyone just like, like, oof. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm not putting up with this shit. Like, I'm sorry. Like, don't play I'll like burn that. you, kid. Don't mess I will with absolutely me. burn. I will absolutely scar an eighth grade kid for life wow. for life. So um, anyway, that's I'm glad just, we're getting this on record. We are definitely getting this on record <laughs> right now. Um, but I, I just think these kids are super annoying. And part of what annoys me about this movie is it's afraid to be a slasher movie. Yeah. Uh, so many of the deaths in this movie occur off screen. That Tony, the one I mentioned before, Tony, Jordan, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt is Jimmy. Like they die off screen and you see the aftermath of it. Um, Charlie dies off screen. Um, not only does um, Josh Harnett get away, but you know, his girlfriend gets away. Like Molly gets away as well. Like, Almost nobody. LL Cool J gets shot in the head, in the fucking head, and he lives. <laughs> okay, that is. A- <laughs> but I don't care because I love that character so much. I'm like, you know what? Any other circumstances, mm-hmm. this would piss me off. But he's back. 
He's gonna it's fish just, that romance novel. I could I could talk shit about that like and tell him blue in the face, but then I you know it would be hypocritical of me mm-hmm. to love uh, Texas Chainsaw Three as much as I do. Then mm-hmm. you know because Ken Forey got a chainsaw to this head to his head and he was chill as Yeah, they did it. <laughs> and they go up and they like. They examine the body. They're like, yep, he dead. You know? And not only is he up later, he doesn't even have any concussive symptoms. Nah, like, he's good. Disarmed. He's like, he's good. He's, he's plotting his next book. Like, See, by the time the movie ends, he's like, I'm writing thriller romances. Like, it drives me nuts because it drives me nuts because of how strong the opening was. And it made, with killing uh, Nurse Chambers, it made you feel like all bets were off. Like, like, like I said, nothing was safe. But then the entire rest of the movie plays it so Everybody. very yeah. safe. And that that dates. That's another thing about. That's another characteristic that it takes from Scream. I mean, four movies in, either Sydney or Dewey or Gale, one of them should be dead by this point, right? Just. Yeah. No, just not a coincidence. You like, can't kill the Scooby gang. Just like, you know, like they have a heart attack. I don't know. It you know, like just at living. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, it's a thing that carries over from Scream where they're like afraid to kill characters. And there's like no good deaths in this movie. Uh, well, eh, you know, like I guess Sarah gets a pretty gruesome one overall. But that's that's really it. It's afraid well, to be I a mean, flash movie. Mike, I mean, there is the really good death of the paramedic at the end. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into the that. The paramedic we'll got his throat crushed. We'll definitely get in. <laughs> definitely get into that. Um, but to me, it really bothers me that this movie is like afraid. This could be a PG thirteen. And I one thing I do say, like absolutely. about it, yeah, I could I could watch this movie with my nine year old daughter and like have z- almost zero issues watching it with her overall um but to me it's i don't know man it's it's so t- and it's in scream is such a bloody movie um wow. i mean scream is very violent scream 2 is very violent um this just feels s- so ridiculously tame the other thing that bothers me is as good as that rest stop scene is jerry mm-hmm. we know michael myers mo when he needs to get a vehicle they're not surviving. Yeah. Okay? Even if it's just the mother, even if for some reason he has a I don't kill children um, sort of code of ethics dating back because he started killing when he was that age. There's no reason for him to not kill the mother. There's no reason for him not to kill LL Cool J's character of Ronnie when Ronnie goes out to investigate the car. Well, no, dude, you're right, because, I mean, in 2018's movie, he killed a little boy who just wanted to dance to get that car. You know what I mean? Like, no, you're right. All those people would have been killed. So that, to me, is one of the bigger disappointments of it overall. So anyone disagree, agree? Am I am I off base here? No, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a very WB kind of horror movie. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that they got... Uh, really died in the wool uh, horror director who did other things, of course, but he definitely has a pedigree there. And they're mm-hmm. like, eh, no, yeah, don't worry about it so much. We'll tone it down. <laughs> so, what do we make of the ending overall? Like, what this was supposed to be 
a definitive series is over. You know, like you can come back from a lot of things, but everybody needs a head. Done. Well, see, this is my issue with it. <clears throat> Got a cough before I get into this rant. Now, uh, my issue is that they marketed it as the final movie. But even during filming, they knew it wasn't going to be the final movie. I mean, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis said that, you know, she had it. She insisted that they at least pretend it's going to be the final movie until the next movie was mm-hmm. announced. But, I mean, the last day of shooting, as soon as filming wrapped, the next day they filmed the opening scene thing, the flashback for Resurrection with the paramedic. So it's like where films like, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, or Freddy's dead, you know, they too acted like they were going to be the final one. But here's the thing. They planned on those being the final thing. It wasn't like a purpose, a purposeful, they didn't purposely like, like lie to their audience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And H2O does that, you know? That's a big that was a big draw for a lot of even non-horror fans to go see that movie because they had seen the first Halloween. It scared the shit out of them. This was going to be the official final follow up to that. And right from the beginning behind the scenes, it never was intended to be. So it almost feels like a slap to the face for me. Mm -hmm. And Friday the 13th at least tried to start over. Yeah, it just they just failed. Even a new nightmare, like even when you get Freddy's dead, the Freddy Krueger you get in New Nightmare is not the same Freddy Krueger that you get throughout the movies. Like it's a different entity. So even Freddy's dead doesn't really lie to the audience. No, not at all. So, but this is so. I mean, like I don't. And I think Brian Collins said when we did part five that this was the Akkads thing, that it was always going to be like, well, just in case we're going to have this kind of backup plan where it's going to be some poor schmo paramedic. But it's such a great – I mean for all the faults of the movie, I think this is such a great capper sequence overall. And to have that kind of ruined, it's really a bummer. Yeah, you know, totally. I agree 100%. Yeah, I try not to focus so much on that switcheroo thing because it is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I'm not much sure. I mean, I'm not sure how much more we have to say about Halloween. It's a, it's a fine entry overall. Like, it does have some things I like about it overall. And I can see why mm-hmm. it is so popular with people. Um, but when people yeah. tell me that it's better than the 2018 movie i'm like eh, i've got an issue with yeah that. yeah I, I you know i do too and you know as as much silliness and joking that i i have about h2o like i said earlier it brought in so many new horror fans and mm-hmm. like like halloween 6 like resurrection even though i'm gonna hate myself for saying this i'm glad it exists because mm-hmm. you know every movie is someone's favorite movie mm-hmm. you know what i mean like if it wasn't for halloween 6 bombing they wouldn't have worked harder on H2O. And, you know, if it wasn't for Resurrection and Rob Zombie's movies, they wouldn't have worked as hard as they did last year's. So, mm-hmm. you know what? I, I'm happy it exists. Stephanie, what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts are... She's like, fuck it, you it, guys. <laughs> yeah, my... <laughs> I wanted to yes. do a dial tone, but that doesn't work on okay? the <laughs> Um... No, it is it an imperfect movie? Yeah, is it too bloodless? Absolutely. Um, 
but I think it ultimately works in spite of all that. And something that I think should be kept in mind, it's not very romantic to think about maybe the time period and the trends of the time, but that had such a huge impact on every decision on this film that um, the, this was, I'm sorry, I just, I'm having kind of, you can't overstate how how popular these big budget, glossy Miramax teen cast movies were right then. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that did blunt a lot of the impact that this film could have had. Um, but I think even with that kind of artifice attached to it, um, there, there's some great tense scenes. Um, I, I do love Jamie Lee Curtis in it. I love LL Cool J in it. Um, and I, I think overall it has a great little atmosphere to it. I think it's just, it's like a neat little entry just to throw on during the holiday. And in the original, um, you know, John Carpenter showed them watching, uh, the thing from another world. And then he ended up making the thing. In this one, they're showing Plan 9 from Outer Space. So is Steve Miner going to do his own Plan 9 from Outer Space? He should. He could. Right. He could. Um, I don't think I'll ever have a chance to ask anyone that again. So I I want to make sure. Pose that question out there. Um, I think that if if this movie doesn't land like it does, and it's it's very successful, it goes on to make like close to sixty million dollars. Basically, it makes more than four, five, and six combined at the (laughs) box office, and maybe even three. It might it might if you take the previous four movies. I think this out earns all of them overall, or it comes really close to doing so. It turns a whole new generation of people on to the Halloween movies and probably did send a lot of people back. If they hadn't seen the original movie, um, they went out and sought it out or they went out and sought out maybe some of the sequels that they hadn't watched before. Um, I, you know, I think my major issue with it is it does, it does feel like it stands out of place with the kind of tone and feel of all the other movies. It feels like a, movie that tries to emulate Scream as opposed to being a Halloween movie. And what's really interesting about that is just how influential Halloween, the original Halloween was to Kevin Williamson when he made Scream. So to kind of have that flip on itself is just really weird. I don't think that you get anything of what follows if it's not for the success of this movie. And that means the two Rob Zombie movies, which I think are going to be fascinating to talk about um and i think we're going to be buckling in for some pretty long episodes there as well as the blumhouse reboot which is to date the most successful slasher movie of all time i mean that is just like a absolute juggernaut and shows that when you do the characters right when you treat them even if you don't 100 percent agree with the take blumhouse had on halloween i don't think that you can say that david gordon green didn't treat these characters with some reverence overall. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that that's a little bit missing here in this movie is that I don't sense that kind of like 
real reverence or respect for the movies that had kind of come before it or the tone of what John Carpenter was going for. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm absolutely wrong on that. But I just think things like adding the orchestral score to Carpenter's music, it doesn't work. Um, it's too cute and too self-referential at times. Like having Janet Leigh uh, as um, Jamie, her, Jamie Lee Curtis's real-life mother in the movie um, – and even having that line, well, we all deserve a little scare. Some we all you're entitled to one good scare at times. And then, you know, posing in front of the car that she drove for Psycho. It's too cute at times. It's like, isn't that neat? Um, and it's just not what I'm looking for in a Halloween movie overall. So that's that's kind of where I, I come down on it. I think I get it. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. great baby's first slasher mm-hmm. movie, but mm-hmm. that's a rough concept to put smack in the middle of a beloved franchise. Oh my god, now I want to see that that movie you just said. I do want to see a baby's first slasher movie now. That's <laughs> you just what I want did. to see. It's um, Halloween Agua. I want to see it with a baby. <laughs> so, or all babies in a sl- make a movie with just babies in a slasher movie. I'm on it. Slasher babies. Do this. Like the oh my god, this could be perfect. Um, so Stephanie, where can our listeners um find your work or listen to your shows? Like what do you have going on if people want to hear more of you right now? Uh the best place would be Twitter. Uh mm-hmm. I'm strawfish there. And uh I have a blog linked right on it and Mm -hmm. everything i do is updated there and i always tweet about what i'm doing so okay so go to twitter at scrawfish there's a link right to your site and what other podcasts have you appeared on um what other shows have you done because i feel like i've heard you like not just on your own show that you've uh, been a part of but like guesting on other shows too yeah, I'm a co-host on the Screamcast. I'm mm-hmm. on Just the Discs with Brian Sauer pretty mm-hmm. frequently. I think we just did our 16th show together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just pop up here and there. Good times, great movies. I just, I like talking to people about movies. So Excellent. I pop up randomly. We would love to have you on again. It's been tremendous having you on tonight. Um and we would really enjoy having you on again if you can put up with Jerry and myself. Oh, I know I'll never hear from you guys again, but that's very sweet. Thank that's you. a lot. <laughs> we have a lot of repeat guests. We absolutely do. Some people like us. My mom likes me, I think. She hasn't called me in a few weeks. My mom hates me. Oh, maybe my mom does hate me. Anyway, I'm going to get into family <laughs> issues now. But thank you, Jerry. Jerry, what do we have coming up? Next, everyone, if you've liked this positive episode, <laughs> then next week we have Halloween Resurrection, Dangertainment, Buster Rhymes, Trick or Treat Motherfucker comes to Pot in the Pendulum. I can't believe it. I don't think we'll, you know, like we haven't been, I, I, I got to imagine the only time we've ever going to be so negative on a movie is when uh, we covered Book of Shadows. Uh, this right? will this will be up there. <laughs> this I'm is gonna sorry. be. This <laughs> is gonna be at least. I think at least this movie does have some comic value to it overall. I really, you know, there there is some. You know, there's not a lot of danger, but there is some entertainment. I think 
And, you know, and, it, it, it does have comedy value. I tried watching it today, and I thought it was funny how much I wanted to jump out the window. So, yes, I agree. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, thank you, listeners. You can find us over on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we do encourage you. You can go over to uh, iTunes right now and leave us a review five stars preferred a few uh kind words that really helps us out um as we've gotten more reviews we're getting listed alongside a lot of other shows like you might also like and that helps new people find us uh which is really nice so until next week everyone have a good one and we'll be back with halloween resurrection we are in the home stretch for this series and God damn it, we are not doing Hatchet next. I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> I totally voted for that. Oh, I hate you so much. You're banned from the show. Oh. Banned. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>